coming up on the Dr. John Deloney Show. I just have a question about my sneaky, sneaky 12-year-old. Uh-oh. <laughs> She takes my clothes. She takes my makeup, including my eyebrow gel. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put a hard no on that one. You got to draw the line somewhere, Sarah, and that's it. He's the one that calls like you feel good. He's the one that makes you feel all right. I love that song. Hey, it's the Dr. John Deloney show. They should drop it an octave. He's the one they call. That sounds creepier if you sing it like that. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash does Dr. Feelgood would be the record of, of all time. That'd be amazing. Quick, hey, um, hey, for those of you listening, welcome to the show. We're so glad you're here. Mental health show, wellness, relationships. We talk about everything. Schools, education, all of it. Um, hey, James Kelly, do you guys, insider baseball, do y'all trim your eyebrows? No. No? I... Yeah, uh- Every once in a while if I have to, but rarely. All right. I've got a, a large forest growing atop my eyes, right? And so I I do every once in a while when I'm getting like at a barber. I was in New York a few weeks ago and I asked the guy, um, or no, he said, trim your eyebrows. And I was like, sure. And I was just walking down <laughs> down one of the streets and I saw a barbershop and I thought, this feels like a New York thing to do. Hashtag not a great idea. But I did. And as he started trimming them, I literally started laughing. Like, he took so much off, I can run faster. But now they're growing directly forward. Like, they're growing <laughs> not this way. They're pointing at you, my friends. I can let you borrow some of my eyebrow gel. You're officially on friendship probation, effective immediately, Kelly. Is that a thing? Yes. I love America. Guys, we're going to be okay. As a country and a society, we're going to be okay. If we've developed... Eyebrow gel. We're going to be all right. And on that, let's go to Sarah in Knoxville, in Knoxville, Tennessee. What's up, Sarah? Hey, how are you, Dr. John? Good. Hey, do you have um, eyebrow gel? I do, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm learning <laughs> so much. This is fantastic. <laughs> I feel like everything in my life is different. I should listen to this podcast and learn more things. Okay, so what's up? How are you? I'm good. I, I just have a question about my sneaky, sneaky 12-year-old. Uh, I have three. (laughs) You have the only sneaky 12 year old in the whole world. I know. I know. So this is going to be, you know, a really difficult question, but um, she's our oldest. Uh, She is 12. She is um, just sneaking everything. So my question is, do I need to be searching her room? And by everything, I mean, um, she found an old iPad and was using it to get on the internet unsupervised. She takes my clothes. She takes my makeup, including my eyebrow gel. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put a hard no on that one. You got to draw the line somewhere, Sarah, and that's it. Right? right. <laughs> Boundaries. Um. So I'll answer your question. We'll get to it. Where Where does she learn sneaky? You know, my husband and I say she was born sneaky. Okay. She was sneaky as a toddler. Um. And I, I am not sure. You know, I try to be very open about talking about these are our expectations, these are our boundaries. Um, and so I don't know if it's just being a 12-year-old now that she's being sneakier uh, or if she just doesn't feel comfortable talking to us about stuff and, and would rather sneak around. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so what... <sighs> This is a whole other conversation we could have at another time. You're in Knoxville. Come down. We'll get coffee here in the in the studios, and we can chit-chat okay. about it. Um, whenever somebody's got a really sneaky kid, 
I always want to step back and look at, are there conversations in the house like, hey, don't tell your mom. Or we're going to go get Sonic drink, do not tell your dad, and we kind of laugh and play. Is there somehow, is this leaching its way through the rocks and making it to the uh, aquifer down below inside of her? Maybe not. Um, But I always want to look at where am I, quote unquote, being sneaky. Anytime somebody walks in the room, do I um, turn my phone off real fast? Or are we watching things on TV and then she walks in, all of a sudden we hit me? Are we creating a world where she wants to know what's going on behind that curtain? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's one, one thing. The second thing, and you touched on, and I think it's really important, is is there a world that she inhabits where she is told, these are my boundaries versus here's the way our family is. Yeah. Um, this is the way, like, you better do this. <sighs> Let me say it this way. Often kids who feel like they are responsible for the emotional regulation of the adults in their lives create inner worlds that nobody else has access to. And then adults call that sneaky. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So it may not be your house. That may not be your world. That may be a teacher. That may be a coach. That may may not be any of that stuff, right? It could have, like you said, just she got shot out of the cannon that way. I always want to look at what is it about this ecosystem that my son or daughter doesn't feel safe talking to me about? Like what, what, is, yeah. why would they need to go down that rabbit hole and hide or whatever? So that leads us to, um, the, your, your question. And this is going to be a controversial answer and I don't care. Um, they do not have a room. They are 12. Yeah. Okay. Particularly when it comes to electronics, search every electronic, let them know you're searching every electronic and hold them accountable as this is who we are as our family when it comes to electronics. That might mean that y'all are going to change what movies you watch. That might mean you're going to change some of the music you play because this is who we all are. And But we are definitely going to get involved in those things. What I don't like kids doing is imagining that they have some sort of inner sanctum inside their parents' home that no one else has access to. Uh, that's, that's how you end up in some major issues where parents are like, I had no idea they were building a bomb. I had no idea they had this or that or they had drugs. And and I just want to say it's like literally 25 feet from your bedroom. How did you not go in there? It's like, well, that was their space. And like, no, dude, they're 12. They're 10. That's, there's a reason it's against the law for them. To, they can't get their own home, right, because they're kids. And this is a very modern phenomenon. I also know there's a ton of pressure. So tell me, if you just said, hey, I'm going to start checking your room, or if she caught you going through her stuff, what would that, like, would that cause a fight? No, I don't think so, because I, I've told her, you know, hey, I found this in your room. I'm, I think I'm probably going to start checking your room and not telling you, you know, and and she just kind of said, oh, okay. You know, it really, I was expecting more of a, a reaction out of her, but she didn't. So I'm almost wondering if she feels safer with me checking in on that. Um, so there's some of that probably. Um, I don't want it to – room checks are about uh, – let me say it this way. There's not like a um, – like they're going to stand outside like in a in a salute position and you're going to go through the room like with the white glove. That's not what we're talking about. It's more yeah. of I'm going to be in and out of your room all of the time. Okay. I, you are going to help me change your sheets. You are – I'm going to check and make sure your room's picked up. Um, once every couple of weeks, we're going to go through and make sure your drawers, make sure your socks are all folded up right. It's not a matter of I'm going to go in because I don't trust you. You don't want to do that. You don't want to set up a culture where you are untrustworthy, so I'm going to go through all of your things. 
there is a culture. I'm in and out of your room. It's not weird, right? It's, it's, it's actually weird in my house when my son's like, dude, you haven't even come in my room in a few days because um, I'm in and out of there all the time. And so when I'm in and out of there all the time, I can point and say, dude, pick that up. Gross. Or clean out your snake cage or whatever the thing is. Does that make sense? Yeah. And he knows I'm going to be helping him change his sheets, which means as a dad, I've got to get off the couch and actually help him change his sheets. But he also knows he, if he hides stuff under the bed, I'm going to find it. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So it's more of a cultural shift inside of a home. It's less of a, what I don't want people to do is hear this and hang up and then go, okay, cool. Raid, like raid time. Like that's, man, that you're going to create a great division between you and your child. It's more about, I want to be more and more a part of your world. Um, Have you taken her out and just started like a routine mom and daughter breakfast? Have y'all started that? No, we haven't. I would recommend that. Uh, more about how's middle school and if you can start being honest with her about some of the crap you had to deal with in middle school, there'll be some connectivity there. And what we're doing there is building a well of that old lady that lives in this house. She's trustworthy. <laughs> I can trust her. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you can get to the deeper conversations of like, tell me about TikTok. What's so great about it? Like, why is this cool? Why is it not cool? Right. And then you can really get into some of those conversations that they can only have when they feel safe. But thank you for loving your daughter enough. Oh, yeah. She's great. Yeah. She's wonderful. She's so smart and athletic and like she's she's just the best. Yeah. That's so cool. She's lucky to have you. Um, and you touched on something. I think it's important before we before I get off the phone here. Um, 12-year-olds are super curious and I don't ever get upset with curiosity. I love it. I think it's great. If I have, prov- have provided access to things in my home, usually via the internet because of um, because I lack boundaries or I wasn't paying attention, I don't ever blame a 12-year-old for their curiosity. I blame myself for not creating boundaries that are going to keep my kids safe. The same as I don't get upset with it. Well, I would definitely get upset, but if a 12-year-old has access to a loaded weapon, that's on the adult in the room, not the 12-year-old, right? And we can make all the rules like 12-year-olds, you don't do this, and great. The adults have to step up there, right? So... Um, yeah, I think they're going to be curious. It's going to be both and. When, when there's a behavior with a kid, always remember this. I've said this a bunch. I'll keep saying it. Behavior is a language. Behavior is a language. What are they telling you? If a kid's sneaky, they're telling you, I have to have a safe inner world because my outer world isn't safe. And let's work on that, that level of safety somehow, somewhere. Um, and she's lucky to have you, Sarah. We'll be right back. It seems like everybody's talking about how crazy the housing market is right now and how powerless homebuyers feel. Mix that with the stress of moving and life change and job change, and you've got a tornado of anxiety fueling one of the biggest purchases you'll ever make. This is not a good idea. So if you're a new home buyer right now, my advice to you is to focus on what you can control, like the people you choose to help you in the home buying process. You need folks like my friends at Churchill Mortgage. Churchill is a Ramsey trusted provider that's been helping people with their home mortgages for decades. And their home buyer edge program will help you skip a bunch of the stress. Here's how it works. Apply to become a Churchill certified home buyer and cap your interest rate for 90 days. Then you'll get a $5,000 seller guarantee to help your offer stand out. So go ahead, take a deep breath because Churchill has your back. Check them out at churchillmortgage.com slash Deloney and get the home buyer edge today. All right, we're back. Um, Hey, <laughs> 
There's a guy named Trevor who works on this show, and he creates the thumbnails for YouTube and cuts and pastes, and I don't understand all of what Trevor does. He's really smart and talented. But the other day, he was putting up uh, the thumbnail and the title, and it said extreme mental health. What was it, James? It was extreme mental health. said facing extreme mental health and relationship challenges. Except he had a typo. Trevor had a typo. And it said, facing extreme metal health. So, so great, so great. And with this summer's big tour, Poison, Motley Crue, and Def Leppard doing a stadium tour, we're all going to get in our walkers and get our dentures in, and we're going to go rock. Kelly's already, she, I saw the, the pair of jeans that you cut super short for your soup. <laughs> Bringing Daisy Dukes back, everybody. It's going to be, oh, I can't wait. It's going to be so fun. But the tickets, they're a little bit proud. A little bit proud of the tickets. Yeah, guys. they were over $350 per. I Come looked. on, guys. Have we not seen gas prices? Let's back that thing down a little bit. Let's take about 35, 50, 65% off that. It's cool. All right, let's go to Morgan in Tyler TX. What's up, Morgan? Hi, Dr. John. How are you? Um, I'm good. My heart is pounding right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you are, you are in safe hands. And by safe hands, they're definitely not mine, but Kelly and James are driving, so you're good. You're good. <laughs> so what's up? Okay, so um, I have taken a team of people to Romania in September. Hey, real quick, uh, real quick, real quick, Morgan, talk directly into your phone there. Okay, is that better? Oh, a thousand times better. Great. <laughs> okay, um, so we're taking a team to Romania in September. Uh, to work with Ukrainian refugees. And I was just wondering, how can I prepare our team for the trauma stories that we're doing here? And how can we respond to those stories as we, you know, hear them and interact with those people? I love this question. So good. And it's applicable both for people going into deal with war, war zone refugees. And it's also important for how do you deal with your middle school kids at home? Right. So great, mm -hmm. great question. Um, Talk about what, what are y'all doing there? Y'all going to like be giving them food and shelter? Like, what are y'all, what, what work are y'all doing? Uh, that's a great question. Um, our host there, I've been talking with her about it and she was kind of explaining like, we really don't know obviously what the status of the war is going to be when we go and what the needs are going to be. But she gave me an idea of what they're doing now and they're delivering supplies. They're doing programs for refugee children. They're actually delivering supplies into Ukraine. Um, they're transporting refugees from their border to wherever else they need to go, where their family members are. So that's kind of the general idea of what we might be doing at the time, but we don't really know. Oh, I love it. Okay, cool. So I'm writing notes down to myself right here. Um and I'm going to rattle them off at you, okay? Prob if you don't have something to write with, that's totally fine. You can go back and just listen to this, and we can even send you mm -hmm. a clip. Um, it won't come out for a while, but you may be on the road already, so we can send you something. But um, here's a couple of entry point um, things to keep in your back pocket that would be great for you to circle up your team and meet with them. How old is your team going over? Um, really all ages. I've had some people, uh, in high school interested up to people in their forties. Okay. So. All right. Okay. So here we go. The first thing that's important is everybody has to go in with the idea that we're going to be listeners, not fixers. Mm -hmm. Very little somebody can bring over from, you know, Dallas, Texas to Ukraine in the, in mm -hmm. the, like, you know what y'all should be doing this, what you could really be 
be providing them is a listening ear and them getting very quickly a group of people paid their own money or a group of other people provided the means for someone to travel over just to sit with me. Mm-hmm. They crossed oceans just to be with me during my darkest hour. And there's, it's incredibly healing. And so I would put big number one, listen more, talk less, right? Listen okay. more, talk less. Um, the second thing is I would start a practice right now. So as people are deciding if they want to go, they want to be a part of this, part of them signing up and saying, yes, they put their deposit in or whatever, I want you to have some sort of journaling apparatus, some sort of journal for them that you're going to hand them and say you start today. Okay. And here's why that's important. They're going to have to have some sort of processing mechanism, and I want them to practice that a couple of weeks before they head over there. And this is going to be where you as the supervisor or you and like a a group of team leaders are going to really step into this gap here. But I want them to write at the end of every day. And I want you and your team to spend an extra hour or two before y'all go to bed reading and responding to these things. Okay. Okay. Something about being heard in the midst of chaos is a gift to the human phys- like physical system. It just it lets you drop your shoulders. Somebody hear what I'm seeing, right? And mm-hmm. you will also begin to see if one or two of your team members, if they're starting to rattle at the seams right? They're starting to kind of untether a little bit. And that's a great way. People will write things that they won't say. And it's easy when you're doing this kind of work to, um, you know, rally a circle and be like, all right, how's everybody? Well, the folks who are really struggling probably aren't going to say anything. Mm -hmm. And so when you're writing it down, they will. Um, another thing here, um, stay off, stay off, stay off the news. Mm-hmm. be with, be present where you're at. And here's another hard one along that same line. If at all possible, limit the number of domestic, them texting, especially them FaceTiming back home. Y'all okay. go over there, be fully there. One of the, this is a hypothesis of mine that I'm still working through and I don't even know how I would sit down with a research group to to figure this out. But I've seen, we've seen the rise in PTSD. We've seen the rise in just general anxiety across the world. And I go back to us, our brains are not designed to live stream war, right? We're designed, to, our brains are designed to respond to threats in our immediate ecosystem. And when I look at the rise of PTSD among soldiers, I have to wonder if one of the great gifts is when they're deployed, they can still go watch their kids little league game because they're spouses can FaceTime it, right? Or they can see their spouses and FaceTime it. They don't have to, they can digitally attend birthday parties. But it also is asking the brain to do something it's never, it's not designed to do, which is to go out on mission during the day and then be a dad in my living room 17,000 miles away at night. And I'm wondering if the toggle back and forth is taxing on their mind. I'm not saying if I'm a soldier and I'm deployed, you're doing right, I'm going to FaceTime every day. I'm not going to miss those moments. But I have to wonder if there's some sort of physiological consequence downstream. And similar here, I want that team, if they sign up to go, this is not to Facebook stuff and to send Instagram posts. It's just to be present to help hurting people. So let's, like we may have a, once a week, we may all get together and do FaceTime back home, but I want everybody present, okay? Um, And then here's the last thing I would tell you. Um, Every single person on this trip will come back different. They're going to change. And often we really struggle and fight change as it's happening to us. You can't sit with Ukrainian refugees and not experience 
not have that secondary traumatic stress, not have some of that, that hatred and ugliness and evil and pain and hurt rub off on you. And it, hopefully they can bring those lessons back, but trying to fight that change is going to be hard. So you as the leader will be having conversations about, okay, what does this look like moving forward? How are you going to be different? What change in the world are you going to be a part of now that you've experienced this? And so what we're doing is we're taking that grief and we're quickly toggling it to making meaning here, right? What, what changes in the world are you going to be a part of as a result of this? Not, that was a cool experience and we got to some cool IG posts out of it. And I'm going to, it's going to go on a college resume or I'm going to do a talk on it at my local church. No, that's not why we're doing this. We're actually going mm-hmm. to sit with hurting people. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, those are just a few, a few tips. Um, the big one is my, I think I've talked about it on the show. Whenever I would go to a scene, um, a crisis scene, and it was a, like gruesome crisis scenes that were just a mess or really, really heavy ones um, where, you know, somebody had been murdered and the families rallied up in a circle and my supervisor would always call and check in with me and he would say, what'd you see? What's your body doing? What'd you feel? What's next? And he would just go through these questions, but I always remember, and it's 2 a.m., 3 a.m., he's calling, checking in. So um, I always appreciated that human connection and come to find out it's neurologically and physiologically the right thing to do also to reconnect each Mm -hmm. other to other people. So make sure you all check in with each other. But thank you, thank you for going to love hurting people. That's really a, a gift. What, 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 what inspired you to do this? Um, so in 2018, my sister and I actually went to Jordan to work with Syrian refugees. And, um, when this opportunity came along, I just knew that that was something that I felt like God had kind of created that passion in me to just go help those people in need. Mm. So, so the things I just rattled off here, would that have applied to your experience in, in Syria? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> like you said, uh, then when it comes back different, I was like, uh, yep. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you for your heart and thank you for being willing to go love and just sit with people. And usually I like people to enter into a space with a mission. Like I'm going to get people out of this burning building. I'm not just going to go hang around in the building while it burns. I, I, I like them to, if you're going to enter into a crisis situation, have an objective. But I kind of like your heart here. We don't know what we're doing, but we're going to go sit with hurting people. And if they ask us to make eggs, then we're going to make eggs. And if they ask us to sweep the floor, we're going to sweep the floor. And if they ask us just to hold them and hear their stories, write their stories down, tell their stories on our return trips, that's what we're going to do. That's a beautiful heart. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. One of the most common questions I get on my show is, how do you get something off your chest? Maybe it's a deep secret that you've never told anyone, or maybe it's something that happened to you. Or maybe it's something you've done and you're deeply ashamed about it. You're worried because you know bringing this to light is going to cause disruption in every part of your life. All of us, every single one of us have things both big and small that we need to get off our chest from time to time. And I say this always, secrets will kill you. But it's often so hard to know where to start or even how to say these things. Therapy is a safe and effective place to get things off your chest, to learn how to say scary and hard things out loud, and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I have personally been blessed to have a great therapist who I can talk to and who helps me get these heavy things off my chest and figure out what to do next. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. 
It's entirely online. It's convenient, flexible, and suited for your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time, and it doesn't cost any extra money. Listen, it's time to get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. All right, we are back. Let's go to Brian in Evanston, Wyoming. What's up, Brian? How's it going? We are rocking on, brother. What are you up to? Uh, I'm just driving along here, trucking. Excellent, man. So Uh, what's up, dude? Well, I just had a question. Uh, How do I get over my uh, hate and uh, just contempt for my ex-wife? Yeah, we got two kids together. I want to... I, I would like to uh, be at least friendly with her, but I mean, we split up. We split up like over ten years ago, and she's still basically making my life insane. How's she, how she, she making your life insane? It's against me. She's turning the kids against me. She's constantly trying to drive a wedge between me and my current wife, hmm. and and it's just uh, it's just really. It's not. Uh, it's putting a negative impact on my entire life. Hmm. Um, she's manipulative and vindictive. I mean, she gets mad over over my wife signing a permission slip for one of the kids. Hmm. Hmm. It seems insane to me. Yeah. Um, how'd your marriage end, man? Oh, it ended bitterly. Bad. <laughs> she cheated on me. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and then she cheated on me twice. As with two guys, as far as I know. Hmm. And then, uh, I found out about the first guy along, like after we had already split up and she, you know, I found out about this other guy and, and I, you know, that, I mean, it just devastated me because we stayed married another like three years after, after that, that guy. And, and she, I mean, she was able to look me in the eye and lie to me for years. Hmm. And then, you know, it's kind of a bittersweet thing because it was horrible, but we got our second daughter, Kayla, out of it. All right. And I, you know, I, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's to this day. I mean, I, I, it feels like I didn't get any closure cause she won't give me any, Yeah. you know, she, she just wants me to die alone and, and, uh, miserable. Yeah. And she's doing her best to make it happen. Why can I ask you a couple of hard questions? Do it. Why do you give her this much power? Like, I don't know. I, I I get the like yeah she's she's raising hell with the kids. That's hard. That just it, we can talk about how to deal with the kids stuff. That's hard, man. But you yeah, I, are I, continuing to allow her to. You're choosing misery for some reason, and I don't fully get why. Tell me why. I don't understand. I, I don't get it either. I I would love. I want to be happy. You know. I I don't. I mean, like like. It's left. This whole thing has left me with just crippling self-esteem issues. I can't. I can't even go. be fully open with my wife. That's right. And she 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 can compliment me, and I won't even. I won't believe it. I don't believe it. I believe she's lying. Yeah. To my face. <laughs> and but here, here, here's the thing. Here's know. the thing. I'm gonna give you your power back. Okay. I want to change your language to I can't to I choose not to. And there's a reason why you choose to not trust your new wife. Because you went all in on somebody and they burn you to the ground. Right? Yeah. I've been with my wife for 10 years. It doesn't matter. Dude, like. It doesn't matter. You're still hanging on to the first one. 
And more importantly, you're not hanging on to her as much as you're hanging on to what's wrong with me. And until you can, quote unquote, figure out what's wrong with Brian, the truck driver who just wants to be a good dad and just have a little bit less sucky life, until you make peace with Brian, your brain's going to continue to try to solve for enemies that don't exist. You are giving a woman a decade ago who hurt you access to your present day life. And why would I want to do that? It's not a matter of want. It's a protective measure. Until you get back in the driver's seat of the truck you're moving down the road in, your brain will drive for you. Until you sit down and own, oh, this happened. And I'm not screwed up. Something was wrong with her. Or maybe I wasn't the husband I could have been. It was both hand. Often it's both hand. And now I get to choose what tomorrow looks like. And you haven't made that step yet because you haven't grieved it. You haven't just sat there and sat in it. You've had to make peace with the fact that she's going to be a part of your life because y'all created kids together. Which, by the way, is also hard because something good did come from her. Right? And you have to own that she's not all evil. She's mostly evil, but man, she created two beautiful little kids with me. And so it's a hodgepodge of emotions. What I don't think you've dealt with, what a lot of people deal with when they're working through infidelity, is you lost trust in Brian. You don't think you're good enough. You don't think you look good enough. You don't think you're smart enough. Or I'm just this piece of crap truck driver, probably could lose 40 pounds and fill in the blank. And you've created a whole story about Brian that's not true. And then you go through your life looking for ways the world can back up the story, the narrative you've created about yourself. And the world's happy to do that. If you just made more money, if you just looked better, if you just didn't do this, and your wife, your ex-wife's happy to throw some gas on that fire. Yeah, she is. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to make peace with Brian. You have to begin to trust Brian. And when you trust Brian, then you can trust other people. Because your brain's How do not I even begin to do that. Number one, you got to choose. Nope, let me back up. Number one, you got to own reality, and you haven't done that. Your wife cheated on you, uh-huh. period. Your wife hurt you bad, and she lied to your face. People are capable, not all of them, but some people are capable of incredible dishonesty and, and um, uh, incredible disloyalty. And it happened to you. You got hurt. You got to own reality. And you probably have to own some crap that you did along the way, right? Is that fair? You weren't perfect as a husband? Maybe you were. Shoot, maybe you I, were. I mean, nobody's perfect. I, but I mean, you know, I, I didn't cheat on her. Yeah. I didn't hit her. I support, I raised our fam- we raised our family. We, I, I supported the family. Yeah. I don't know what else I could have done different. Maybe I'm emotionally unavailable. I get that from my wife all the time. Sure. Okay. All right. Uh, so but, let's, let's that's, stop. That's let's, a problem. I'll give you that. There you go. So, so. And again, I'll give you emotional unavailability is a protective measure because your body remembers, hey, we were emotionally available once and it got us killed. So let's put that away. Let's put that away, right? The sucky part about where you are is the only way forward is choosing to possibly get hurt again. That's the only way. You yeah, have I got to choose to put myself out there again. Co- correct. And right now you share a bed with a woman who loves you and you're completely and totally alone. And you know that, and especially your body knows that. 
and you're around two kids that you absolutely adore and love and would do anything for, and they kind of look like your wife and your body knows it. And it says, danger, danger, danger. And what you have to choose is, A, I'm going to start trusting Brian. And I can give you a couple of quick tips and tricks on how to do that. You're probably not going to do them, but I'll I'll write them out for you, okay? The second thing you're going to have to do is make a daily choice for about four months that my ex-wife does not get a vote in my life, period. And when I run up against bonkers things, like you, like she's a rattlesnake and you keep putting your hand in the bag, getting surprised that she, that she bites you. It's just the way she is. And so I'm not, not trying to figure out a rattlesnake. It just is. I'm just going to quit putting my hand in the bag. And so my wife, the step-parent of my two children, sometimes have to sign a permission slip. And so I know that she's going to send weird text and throw a hissy fit because that's what she does. I'm not going to allow that to ruin my day. I'm not giving her access to my day. And if she wants to throw a super fit and cause all kinds, that's fantastic. I'm just going to call the lawyer and we'll get an amendment done. I'm just not going to fight you. And there's something incredibly empowering about looking at somebody going, I, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you. Hear what I'm saying? There, it's just a totally different way of looking at the world. But first, before yeah. you do any of that, is you got to look at Brian and say, Yep, we missed it. She was sleeping with a friend of mine. She was cheating on me with another guy. And for three years, I knew something was off and I didn't go with my gut and I stuck it out and it still ended up in ash and then find out, all right, you got to make peace with that so that you can look at your new wife and say, for 10 years, we've been married and I've loved you, but I didn't know what that even meant. And I'm going to go all in. And so I'm going to have to practice being vulnerable again. Because last time it got me killed. And the only way that you and I can have a great, incredible, recklessly lovely marriage, lovely marriage moving forward is if I risk again. And dude, it's so freaking worth it, man. It's so worth it, Brian. Yeah, it's tough to do. It's uh, dude. I can't I can think of no tougher thing. Right? I can't think of a tougher thing. I can't. Me neither. <laughs> But if nothing yeah. else, your little ones deserve that, man. Because they, here's the deal. They feel that gap and that tension. So let's talk about your kids real quick. You're playing a 15 or 20-year game with them right now, okay? And it's not going to um, – this is an MMA match, and you are going to do a lot of blocking and a lot of pushing up against the fence – and a lot of foot stomps and a lot of leg kicks. You're not trying to knock anybody out here. You are just slowly playing a long game here because your goal is round four and five. Okay. And you're up against a superior opponent in the short term, which is a wife who can throw grenades at you that can say things like, oh, your daddy doesn't love you. You know what he did? And you can't do anything about that nonsense. What you can do is continue to show up and continue to show up and continue to write your kids little notes with their, from their truck driver dad to continue to, to do what you can to be at, the, at their events, to continue to hold their face and look them in the eye and say, this house doesn't work without you and I'm so glad you're my child. Say that every day for two months and watch what happens. They'll roll their eyes at you. They'll be like, oh, dad. And their physiology will change. Ask them if you can read them uh, bedtime stories or even better yet, make them up together. And co- incorporate that, right? So you can play long games. And what will slowly happen is kids are brilliant. They will slowly start to put together, oh, she's crazy. Because that doesn't make sense. 
And then one day when they're 17, 18, 25, 33, they'll say, hey, whoa, you weren't the devil, were you? And you'll say, no, and I loved you every step of the way. That's the game you're playing right now, okay? And that does not give you That's any... It's a terrible game. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the worst game. It's the worst. And I'm, I, I, I'm heartbroken, just guy to guy, I'm heartbroken that your wife's, your ex is doing this to you. But I'm not going to give her one more moment of rent-free space in my head, in my heart, period. Especially when not one thing she's doing is surprising me. Yeah. Like, you know same, I mean? same crap. Same stuff. All the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like every time you walked in to see me, I just hit you in the mouth. Like the 48th time, you'd be like, quit hitting me. And I'd say, I hit you every time. Quit walking up this close. You know what I mean? At one point, at some point, we're both at fault. And so I'm just going to make that choice. I promise you, Brian, with everything I got, two guys sitting at a bar over cheap beers and chips and queso. I'm talking to you right now. I promise you, your way forward with telling your new wife of a decade, I'm going to try something different and I'm going to need you to help me. And we're going to come up with a new language on when I start withdrawing. Um, I'm going to start saying out loud, um, the story I'm telling myself is I'm not really looking good. And you're just saying that and give her an opportunity to say, nope, you do. You look good. You know what? Screw it. Can I tell you, Brian, this weekend I was with my wife and I was wearing a shirt and I, like a a t-shirt and I said, hey, we were out somewhere and I looked at her and said, hey, I don't feel like um, this is a good shirt for me to be wearing. Like, it feels bad on me. And she said, you look good. And my first thought was, no, I don't. And then my second thought was, I trust you. I'm still practicing this and I haven't had near the hurt you've had, okay? So I want you to know you're not crazy. We're all figuring this out. It's how, are you gonna risk that relationship? Because my wife could have said, yeah, never wear that shirt again. You look terrible. She could have said that. And then I just wouldn't have worn the shirt anymore, right? develop that language with her a couple of things for you this is gonna sound so cheesy man but when you're out over the road are you over the road or you go home every day i go home every day okay then before you get out of the car i want you to go to walmart and get something for six bucks and it's going to be a small little black or red or green little notebook that's leather bound and i want you to put it in your truck and write a few things about the day down into them but a couple of these things are i'm grateful for and I am a good dad, and I'm about to go in and be a great husband. And then I want you to get out of your truck and go inside your house. But I want you to start practicing writing this stuff down. You got to get out of your head and out of your body and let your body begin to heal. Okay? And there's going to be ups okay. and downs and sideways and forwards. The goal here is human connection, human touch, forgiving Brian. And dude, you got to go risk. You got to go risk. And I hate that for you, man, but you got to. It's the only way, it's the only way forward. Okay? Do you love this new lady you're with? Yeah, a lot. Is she cheating on you? She's way better than the old one. <laughs> like, nah. like, like she's a set of tires. That's fantastic. Better than the old ones. Um, uh, she did. She'd be gone before she told me. <laughs> hey, it's probably not going to happen, man. I think this lady loves you. And I know... She does reassure me quite a bit. There you go. And so... Um, you may not believe Brian, and you're going to have to practice believing Brian and learning to trust Brian again. Um, you put that guy in a box for a long time. Start practicing trusting her. 
and say, I believe you. And I'm going to drop my shoulders and exhale. I'm going to choose to believe you. And maybe you tell her, you can hurt me because I'm going all in on you again. And I should have done this 10 years ago, and I'm sorry. And I've been protecting myself from more hurt and more hurt. And in the process, I built walls that keep me from you. So I'm going all in and look at her and say, please don't hurt me. I'm going all in on you. Please be there with me, ride or die till the end. I'm all in. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up? Deloney here. Listen, you and me and everybody else on the planet has felt anxious or burned out or chronically stressed at some point. In my new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, you'll learn the six daily choices that you can make to get rid of your anxious feelings and be able to better respond to whatever life throws at you so you can build a more peaceful, non-anxious life. Get your copy today at johndeloney.com. All right, we are back. I gave um, Brian, during the break there, I gave Brian a copy of On Your Past, Change Your Future. If you are wrestling with, I am stuck. I cannot make this next step. I don't know how to let the abuse go, the racism go, the um, ex that cheated on me. I can't, I can't, I can't, I, I struggle with disordered eating and I don't know what's next. I struggle with depression. I don't know what, how to get from there to here, from here to what does joy even look like? If that's you, this book's for you, okay? Check it out on your past, change your future. It's in stores. It's all over the place now. Um, go check it out. Uh, the reviews are, I mean, it's helping folks. Go pick it up. All right. Hey, James uh, gave me this article here. As youth mental illness soars, U.S. Task Force recommends screening children as young as eight for anxiety. Nearly half of young adults reported feeling anxious or depressed. And before COVID, um, the most recent comprehensive survey found that 8% of children had a current anxiety disorder. Um, and it suggests that it is infinitely more, up to 48% of young adults, um, one and two. I've talked about this before on the show. Um, here's the... Here's the deal. I would love for there to be wired into the curriculum at elementary schools and middle schools and high schools ways that teachers could identify and um, partner with and support and love and care about kids struggling from debilitating anxiety. I'm all for figuring out a way to quote unquote screen kids, check them out. Is there ways we can look at this? My head instantly goes to when we used to have to do the lice checks and they just put us in a line in a hallway and that, uh, that was, dude, it felt so good. It was the best. They had that, that uh, popsicle stick and they would just run it through your hair. It was so great. But they were looking for uh, lice. And I think about that like, okay, cool. Often school systems are well-meaning, and but they can be really blunt and obtuse when they're trying to implement some of these things, like testing, whatever. But that's another conversation. So I just had like a line out of a hallway, like, "All right, we're doing the anxiety screening. Are you sad? Are you?" Hey, I hope we don't do that. Number two, here's the problem I have with the mandatory anxiety screening for kids as young as eight. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with that data? You're going to are you going to label a kid and put him in at a different class, put him in a different track, run him through different whatever. 
Are you going to make her go get a bunch of medications or make her have to do a bunch of psychometric testing that's really expensive their family can't afford? Like, what are you going to do with this data? And so if, as a parent, A, I want to be really careful about who's tagging my kid with what diagnostic, who's tagging my kid with what label, and more importantly, what are we doing about it? Because I contend that our kids aren't, quote unquote, more anxious because something's wrong with them. Our kids are, quote unquote, more anxious because the world around them, the adults that inhabit their universe have lost their freaking minds. The adults are acting like children. They're screaming. They're yelling. They're running. They're live streaming a war in the living room. They're telling their kids, well, your teacher wants you dead. The doctor didn't know what he's talking about. Church is stupid. We ain't doing that anymore. On and on and on. And we have melted these young kids' worlds around them. And their beautiful little brains are hollering at them. Hey, we're not okay. We're not okay. We're not okay. We're not okay. And so, dude, if a U.S. task force recommends screening kids as young as eight for anxiety, and when they find out critical masses of students have anxiety, they're going to start implementing recess and laughter and human connection and joy and less drill and kill response for school testing and places where kids can rest because they're having to be at school at five o'clock in the morning or whatever. Like, and you heard me run my mouth about this on this very show. My kids in their silent lunches because they're too loud. And... Is that what we're going to do? Are we going to start? Are we just going to dope up the kids? Or are we going to tell the kids you're broken or dysfunctional? And we're going to make you do something different. Are we going to teach them classes about how to manage stress, how to speak up, how to identify it in their bodies? Because if we're doing that, I'm all in. But if it's just another way to blame a kid for their brain, trying to tell the adults in their world, help me, please. Please be an adult. Stop screaming in the house. Stop yelling. Stop being so indebted that you can't breathe. Because if you can't breathe, I can't breathe. Mom and dad, we all fix your marriage. Brother and sister, we all, if we're going to do that, man, I'm all in. If we're not, what are we doing? What are we doing? As we wrap up today's show, sorry, I'm just going to end on a bum note here. But we'll loop it back because James comes through in the clutch. Call back to the first call with the mom who wanted to know, should I be searching my kid's room? The police wrote a song about this very situation. It's called Every Breath You Take, and it goes like this. Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Every single day, every word you say, every game you play, every night you stay, I'll be watching you. Now, this could be a really creepy stalker song. I'm not. I'm going to say this is a song of, of a concerned parent written to their teenage children. Oh, can't you see? You belong to me, and my poor heart aches with every step you take. Every smile you fake, every claim you stake, I'll be watching you. And I'm watching you too, America. We'll see you soon. Coming up on the next episode, I'd like to say hashtag John and James, which should be a new hashtag. Is that how those work? He's got two guitarists. He's got a Fender player and a Gibson player. And together they created magic. So like a guy that can really play and then a guy that just plays power chords. Exactly. I see what you did there. That hurt my feelings. I teach at one of the best schools ever. And my joy and my passion for teaching art is just waning. Where are you finding joy in other places in your life? I don't. 